Before we begin our second season, we wanted to take a minute to acknowledge the current political moment. To start, we want to state for the record that we both strongly support Black Lives Matter. We also want to be clear that we both take it to be an uncontroversial fact that we live in a white supremacy. This isn't a controversial term in academia, in particular when it comes to critical race theory. It's used to refer to the way that our world is structured, namely that society is built to favor white people. One reason that people resist the term, I think, is that it sounds like we're saying that society is a compilation of white supremacists as though secretly in our hearts, we actively wish for the dominance of the white race. And that's a very psychologistic way of looking at things and is just inaccurate. Acknowledging that we live in a white supremacy doesn't have anything to do with everyone secretly actively wishing for the oppression of non-whites. In fact, part of the problem is that to white people, the ease we have compared to other races is invisible to us. We don't even notice it and it seems normal. And just a quick word about privilege. That's not to say that everyone who's white or a man has it easy or is automatically successful. This is a common misconception. We have positive associations with privilege where often you'll hear people use it in a sentence like, oh, it's such a privilege to be able to do this thing that we're actively grateful for. And so I think part of what trips people up about privilege is that it's not a thing we're registering and that's part of the problem. What it means is because of your identity, you have had the fewest impediments. That's just a better way to think about it. And it's hard to register because what you don't see is how many more impediments everyone else has because of their gender or their race or their sexuality or their class or their disability or whatever. To begin to reckon with the fact that we live in a white supremacy, we have to be able to question what we see as normal, to question a lot of what we take for granted. That involves a lot of listening, a lot of reading, a lot of watching YouTube lectures and documentaries. We don't have one or two things to unlearn. We have to reorient our sense of the whole picture. That also means questioning which stories we tell and how we tell them. A lot of what we do on this podcast is about questioning the history of male-dominated stories, which mainly relegate women to secondary characters. In the last episode of our first season, we talked about Spike Lee's 1986 film, She's Gotta Have It, and our discussion included mention of the white gaze, which is just as important to keep in mind. Our Western canon has long been held up as significant in part, so the story goes, because it offers a timeless universal insight into what being human means. The problem is most of those stories are about white men and that becomes a problem when we start to see whiteness and maleness as the essential humanity because other stories seem less universally relevant. How often have you heard a man say, oh that's a story about a woman, I wouldn't know how to relate to it. Meanwhile, I've never heard a woman say the same thing about a story featuring a male protagonist. What we need to do is question what we find easily relatable who seems quote unquote, easily likable, and to stretch our imaginations beyond what we take for granted as universal and essential. Women and people of color need to be able to see themselves represented in narratives as protagonists. But just as importantly, white people need to see more narratives with non-white protagonists, and men need to see narratives about women and non-binary people. Hi, I'm Lisa McEwen. And I'm Lisa Anita Wagner. And together we are She's gotta have it! Exclamation mark! Hello, listeners, and welcome back to a very special episode of She's She's Gotta Gotta Have It! Exclamation mark! is a very special episode uh, for the same reason that we just said that in actual Unison, yes. (laughs) It's the cottage edition. It's the cottage edition (laughs) where the Lisas came up to one of the Lisas' cottages 
and we've been bubbling together for the weekend. Yes, and it's beautiful up here. Listeners, you can't see it, but we're looking across a beautiful sparkling lake, (laughs) and it's been so wonderful when I've otherwise just been at my home the whole time during COVID. So yay to other places. Yay to other places, (laughs) other things, going going anywhere and Mm -hmm. looking at anything that isn't just the same four walls. Especially, I think nature is becoming more palpably important during this time, especially for those of us trapped in the city. Mm -hmm. So I find it very soothing to come up here and it's just very relaxing for my body in a way that it's hard to be relaxed during a pandemic I find for me as somebody with anxiety. All right maybe we'll go into what we want because it actually leads nicely from what we were just saying. Let's do it. Why don't you start because you I think have a nice connection. In the two days I've been here I coined the term joy coma (laughs) because I guess coma can also, I mean, even myself, if I've been in a rougher space, you can have that same style of feeling. But right now I'm very content. I'm happy. And also we are grant writing right now. And I actually have some things I kind of should be doing, but I made an executive decision that the three solid days away, I wasn't going to put any thought towards it. So I've found myself here in a really excellent place. And then with the feeling, I actually feel like I'm a kid on summer vacation because there's nothing I have to do next. So I just, I was like, do I want a coffee? Do I want to lie in the sun? Do I want to sketch? So it's this first few solid days has brought mind silence and this incredible calm to me. So my, what I want, I want to figure out how realistically to bring some of this into my normal COVID small house life (laughs) and I think one of the things that we've talked about too is there's so much space and so much excellent air. So, um, yeah. So I guess try to, and how to, how to, I, I want more of that in my life in small doses. Maybe that's going to the woods in High Park for mm. a short amount of time, or even just bundling up and lying in my own little city yard a little bit more. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I want more joy coma and to find this mind silence more regularly. I feel like mine is weirdly the opposite not because i have not been enjoying the the mind silence (laughs) some of the way you put things is so hilarious there's like yeah there is a sense in which your mind gets quieter up here and to the point where i'm like feeling really sleepy but not in a bad way i do enjoy this experience but uh what i'm really excited for uh now that i've got some grading ta ta work happening this semester is for more structure because it's very hard when you're it's not that i'm not busy i'm very busy i have a lot of personal projects um including this podcast and then my dissertation and some other writing projects and uh redecorating my apartment and all that's great but it's It's very nice to feel like I'm in the world again, doing things for other people. I wish I could be doing more, but one thing that I will be doing this semester is helping business students learn how to write better and having a sense of like purpose and structure and like I have a meeting to go to on Tuesday. It's a Zoom meeting, but it's still the meeting I have to go to. And it just feels very exciting to have someone expect me somewhere and have to do something. And it kind of just makes it feel like time is moving forward and that I'm part of a, a community again, even though we're not meeting in person. 
Definitely. Yeah. I've, I've been teaching online. I only had three weeks off because I did it through the summer. And I think that what you just described, my online teaching brings to me because it's that structure and it is Zoom still, but you do have connection. So that's kind of cool. Yeah. Um, I will add one last PS onto mine because I realized I do have a concrete thing I want. I've applied to the city of Toronto to be a public artist in residence. And I would really like that. <laughs> so that's just my little ending on what I want. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. All right. With that, let's dive into the episode. Fleabag. Fleabag. Uh, yes, we are talking. I don't think I mentioned this. We are talking about season two, episode one. We're now on season two, which. Uh, If you're listening, I hope that you have started to watch because one thing I really like about this series is that season two is very different from season one. It's not like a lot of American series where it feels like there's kind of like continuation, the same theme Mm -hmm. in a different way each each season. Um, It's a very different arc of her personal journey. And it starts, we learn at the beginning, um, 371 days. Uh, So basically like a year and a week later. Um, from the last time we saw her at the end of the, uh, the sex exhibition party, I think is where that ended, mm-hmm. um, in season one. So, um, so yeah, we begin with her in the bathroom looking at a mirror with a bloody nose, which I think, you know, is, is, um, trying to catch the audience off guard because it's sort of, I think the assumption we're to draw from that is she's fucked up again or she's made mm-hmm. a scene. But of course the rest of the episode is then going to tell us the story of how she got to have the bloody nose in the first place. I guess the first thing that really struck me about this episode that I think took it to another notch is actually the sound design and the music this time. Oh. Um, the dinner was like this almost like perfect storm of unfortunate things and awful moments, but she wasn't creating any drama. Like that was a different, interesting thing, but they had this like Gregorian chant, religious music going and it made everything to me seem like epic in this other way. And then more, evilish or something like it just it just made this because i was thinking without that set like you know there was like that i can't sit but like da 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 kind of music like that epic music without that it would have still been great but that just took it i think because it, it seemed almost like a parable or like like do you know what i mean like some kind of yeah epic well, and especially with the presence of the priest. Oh, jeez, right? that's the Catholic. I didn't the Catholic. No, no. Yeah, but then you're right because okay. So now I'm thinking about this because so I, I didn't have something to say about the sound design per se, but now that you've said that, I'm really excited to talk about this because I found that whole dinner scene amazing mm. on 50 different levels. Yes, and part of it is also that so it's it's got a heightened sense of drama, and yet she's not creating drama. So it's like this. Um, there's a contrast there. Uh, this is so interesting because I don't usually notice sound design stuff, but I love when people point it out to me. That dinner, she keeps being like tempted or taunted into into being like what her father says later, like naughty, like yeah. like in, into acting out because it's like that's the role she plays for them, and that's what they're expecting from her, and it keeps making everyone angry <laughs> that she keeps making the milder choice, and I find that really interesting. So it is a little bit like almost. I can't remember the word you just used, but there there is a sort of sense of religious like temptation, right? That she and she keeps resisting it, resisting it, resisting it. She's sitting next to this priest, so there's suddenly this whole religious background in the in the backdrop of the storyline already, 
And yeah, I just find I find that really interesting because she's kind of constantly like resisting that role. And I think she continues to resist it even when she gets dramatic at the end because she's not being she's not acting out to to piss people off or to get attention. She's just she's angry at her sister. I did have a question. Do you think she walked away from the priest so rudely during the first cigarette? So because she didn't want to be sexually involved with him? Like I was I was curious oh. about that. That is if she didn't want to cause trouble, I thought maybe she just was like, I just want to step away. It is. I actually don't know what to make of that. She's out there, obviously, like trying to let out some of the internal frustration she is having so that she's not letting it out in front of them. I think she she doesn't know what to make of this guy. Because at first she's like, oh, Jesus Christ, he's their priest. And then he says something, he says a swear. And she's like, oh, sorry, priest. And so yeah. she's sort of intrigued. And then he comes out. And they're the only two smokers. And he comes out for a cigarette because, like, he's also got a little bit of a twisty dark side. We're learning. And she is rude to him. And I and I actually am just still not sure why. If it's because she's also resisting her own urges in that direction. That was my one question mark. Because it. I thought she would... You know when you want, you're like that and you're out there and you're trying to decompress? He would have given her real connection. Remember, he's like, so yeah, your family... Yeah. So that was a confusing thing to me. I thought she would go for the real connection. And the only thing I could think of was she was trying to be a good girl. Yes, you know what I mean? Yeah. And just not start with him. Yeah. But yeah, wasn't wasn't 100% obvious to me. Because that's also a kind of like... This is, this is a whole other thing. I mean, and this gets more into kind of the the female desire part of things because I think what's interesting about Fleabag is especially this season which just goes back to the broader themes of our podcast in general is that there's kind of two different sorts of things you can mean by the female gaze right um I was having this conversation with Susan um when she was bringing up her next suggestion for our uh, uh for a future Susan podcast and so one thing you could mean is, like, for me, I think part of what it denotes is a deconstruction of the male gaze. So just anything that is about women trying to rewrite their stories from their perspective so that it's not being informed or, like, kind of stifled by the traditional male gaze, which reduces women from everything from sex objects to just simply to secondary characters or supporting roles. Um, but it also you know, is about desire. And I think there's, there's sort of two things happening in this very first episode, which is that she's obviously trying to change her story because she's making a really conscious effort to behave differently and to not engage in, like, the same destructive patterns with her family. And also just there is just, like, like just, but just to kind of get, like, real about desire for a moment... Andrew Scott in this season gives me like the sexy, like Roman Catholic priest fantasy I never knew I always wanted. Yeah. <laughs> and and that's true for a lot of people because like, I mean, I just, I, he plays Moriarty in the, in the Sherlock Holmes, in this, in the Stephen Moffat Sherlock Holmes series. And he's, I find him repulsive in that role. Like he's just sort of a weaselly little weasel. And in this, in this series, he's suddenly... Like, that is just such a temptation exactly for somebody like her, who's mm-hmm. who's so tempted to, like, push boundaries and taboos. And so suddenly she's next to this, like, Roman Catholic priest who's actually really funny and smokes and swears and is, like, a lot going on for him. 
and and she's like I think trying to like both like resist that desire that is like I think very real in part because she's also trying to like create her her different story. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot going on there. I think with the female gaze is what I'm saying. Yeah, <laughs> it's really interesting. And I just wanted to comment when you were saying what the, the female gaze is kind of for you. I feel like that's sort of how I think about it too. It's more that it's like there's. I feel like there's 80 million possibilities of what it could be mm-hmm. and we kind of know what it's not. <laughs> Do yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah. And then we'll find out. Well, yeah, it's like an investigation of it. That was just interesting to think about too because I hadn't. Yeah, just because I think the, the male gaze has such associations with it that it's about um, objectifying and sexualizing and I think the female gaze isn't always about um, thinking about sexuality per se, but that's maybe like an, an, a kind of a thing you could think it is. And it... And it is partly that because mm. I think it is important to be able to talk about women's desire in a way that is more real and honest and accurate in a way that historically both men have sort of decided what women's desire is and Western history is full of stories that either show that they are terrified of female desire like in all of the stories about sirens, for example, where like, you know, the, the man is tempted and suddenly like then consumed and de- devoured by the woman, right? So um, Basic Instinct with Michael Douglas is, I think, a great example of that kind of narrative, mm-hmm. right? Where this woman's desire is like extremely seductive, but also extremely dangerous and destructive. Or it just doesn't exist at all. Like they just don't know what it is or how to really like with, you know, pickup artistry. It's like, oh, well, you know, like you... Women don't really have desire, but they have these like these needs to like be approved of. So if we can just kind of get them to want your approval, then that means that they'll desire you. Like that's the same thing. That whole thing is total bullshit. <laughs> but also women have been shamed also into not talking about it because it's seen as like inappropriate, which is what I feel like is important about our podcast in general. Sorry, yeah. I'm going on, on a lot of meta rants <laughs> right now. I did not expect this. My brain is Perfect. also very spacey in a bit of a kind of cottage joy comma. <laughs> So anyway, Joy thanks. Coma Edition. Thanks for coming on that that train. No, that was great. Train of thought with me. <laughs> I just had one comment back to just the sound design comment. Mm. They even so it wasn't just that they played the music underneath it. They actually held it because there's like the silences. So there'd be a line, yeah. and then it'd be like a duh. So it was very bold use of the sound design. Yeah, which was almost like more like an opera or a musical, I suppose, yeah. that they made it into. So it was like heightened. Yeah. Um, and that's funny that I didn't I didn't put the priest together at first. So it's almost like the religious episode in a way that yeah. includes all of that. Um, well, there is the backdrop of like God and like faith and I think what it is to have faith for like different characters respectively. I'm just I'm sort of pulling this out of my ass, but also I think I'm onto something. I do think this second season is a little bit about like what it is to have faith, but it, it starts off with this like, yeah, incredibly heightened drama. But I also wanted to say in terms of the sound design, I'm not sure this is quite sound design specific, but the dialogue, I mean, the dialogue in this series is, is often very good, but the rhythms of the dinner chat were like extremely powerful. It almost reminded me of Carol Churchill-esque like dialogue where it's very realistic in the sense that somebody will sort of start a sentence but then get interrupted and you know what their thought was but they don't really get to finish it. And so there's like there's all these sorts of like cross almost conflicts or like uh, somebody 
starts to say something and then it kind of gets diverted. Like, so for one example of this is when Martin says, oh, are you, do you often do elderly weddings? <laughs> and Olivia Coleman's character says, oh, I don't think that's what we're, and the priest interrupts and says, actually, you know, I'm very new to the, I can't remember exactly what he says, but he says something like he answers the question. Yeah. Like sort of directly, but I, <laughs> like Olivia Coleman gets cut off and you can just see that she's, <laughs> like she's pissed at Martin for calling her an old person. Anyway, like that's just so rich and that is happening kind of throughout this scene in a way that is so real and interesting and gives you so much background without necessarily filling it all out explicitly. It just seems very nuanced and, and elegant. I would agree. It feels like masterful. Like it feels like one of those things that you write for like 10 years. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And then it gets to that place. Yeah. Um, and also the, like I was, when rewatching it, it, they do have the car scene at, right at the end with the sisters, which is almost like a little cat, but the mm. entire episode is the scene in the restaurant. Yeah. So that's also a bold move, but I feel like, yeah, I think it's very deliberate and there was almost this like crescendo of this like, mm-hmm. last supper's the wrong term, I'm just thinking of a religious dinner, but like, yeah, just like, yeah. and, and I'm very interested in how when Fleabag doesn't react as as the fan as like because she's kind of scapegoated by the family in that way Mm. to be that person the reactions and and then her reaction was just like what do you expect me to say like it was so you know it was interesting and no one knew but everybody was like just (laughs) nervous and ticked that she didn't keep because it's like they don't know how to get along unless they're directing their annoyance at her Mm -hmm. right like unless they're all kind of teamed up against her it's like nobody knows how to relate to each other and then that moment where everyone thinks that Claire's a lawyer, and she's like, I went to business school. <laughs> kind of almost, like, plays into that a bit, because it's like, do you guys ever have conversations about your lives? Like, what is it that you talk about? I thought that was a very funny moment, because her husband or mom, or, like, nobody knew what she actually did. But I could see that, because Claire is really shut, like a little clam, like, shut yeah. down. Do you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. So I could see, and she's yeah. like, I work with lawyers. Maybe she's always talking about lawyers. Yeah. But nobody noticed that she didn't go to law school. Like, yeah, exactly. Nobody... No one actually paid attention. So yeah, I mean, yeah, some combination of Claire's not really being forthcoming and then nobody really investigating what it is that she does and everyone just making the same assumptions. The same assumptions. And it does, when you really think about it, it makes sense. Like the father, as as lovely as his impulses are, he can't even form a sentence with words in it. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So just the scene where it's like, I have a feeling in here that I would like to say very much. Like, <laughs> yeah. Like, so there's like just such intensity the of feeling there, but it's just like, the man is, has actually not said anything. Yeah. Yes. So that, the, the, the family the, who's, who's yeah, patriarch says sentences like that, you can understand how a daughter, you wouldn't know what her major was because, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. And I do feel like since the godmother's been there, everything is just everything the godmother's thinking because she, like, yeah. talks. Yeah. Like exactly. the mouthpiece. Exactly. I feel like all the characters almost are, like, masterful versions. Like, Claire's hu- creepy husband. Mm-hmm. I think he plays those kind of roles so masterfully. Like, yeah. and it, it's, I mean, also it's just genetics. Like, it's his face and the way his hair yeah. is and everything. But he's... And I, I also really do appreciate when an actor like him really leans into that kind of character with no nudge, nudge, wink, wink. I'm not like that. Yes. Yeah. Fleabag really leans into that as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think better actors do, but he leans in to that so hard. Mm-hmm. I really appreciate him. Mm-hmm. I mean, they, yeah, and they, they all kind of, I mean, like Olivia Coleman also leans into the, the evil stepmother role. 
because I'm looking at her and I'm like, I know she's Olivia Coleman and I know she's totally adorable and sweet, but she seems like the worst person in the world right now. Like she's like, oh, it's so chic to have a real priest. Like, so that's like, so, so his life calling and his whole life's work, she just thinks it's chic. You right, know what I mean? yeah, like she's reduced it to reduced like this, it to this, this cute, like, aesthetic detail about her wedding. Yeah. And then the priest was so refreshing. And I think this is also probably why he seems so attractive mm. because he was so dead honest yes. in this really refreshing way, Yes, but still playful with the family. Yeah. That was a really interesting <laughs> thing to see as well. Yeah. And also just the details of the, I mean, I was sort of alluding to this before, but just like the details of the waitress who like there's a I have a whole sense of who that waitress is just from like the three half lines she has where she's so desperate to bring them stuff and like she's sort of overly attentive to to whatever's going on in a way that is actually like completely disruptive (laughs) she was so disappointed when they'd already ordered a bottle of wine and she was like oh no and then she comes along again and she's like, I just, I would really love to get you anything. Like it just, she seems like she is brand new to waitressing is what that tells me. And I also like the very last moment that you see her. Cause you know, Fleabag's cleaning her nose for a while and like yeah. getting ready. Yeah. And she's just sitting on the floor waiting. For, like, she didn't get her own rag. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, she's just waiting there. And then Fleabag says, oh, do you want this one? Like, <laughs> so she's so passive. It yes. seemed like she must've just been sitting on the ground yeah. staring at Fleabag while she wiped her nose. Yeah. So it was even an interesting like last moment that you didn't even see. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Or hardly saw at all. <laughs> Yeah, and I think the flea bag wiping the nose at the beginning and at the end as well, mm. it was just it, just interesting shooting because you saw her dressed up in a fancy place yeah. and it looked like she's putting on lipstick. You don't see oh, right at first, you know what I mean? So I, didn't realize that. I thought it felt like really, you're like, oh, it's a year later. Oh, she's in a fan, she's got this very fancy clothes and she looks like she's putting on lipstick in a high end restaurant. Yeah. And then you pull back and you pull back and she's like bleeding and then there's someone on the floor <laughs> bleeding and you're like, here. So it's just, yeah. it's, it's just good filmmaking in terms of, uh, Re- like yeah expectation reversing and then the reversing the expectation yeah. then our assumption is like what has she done and yeah in fact she's not the person who who yeah. is the responsible for that right like martin's the one who starts like i think he, i mean she does punch him but he, he was kind of asking for it th- yeah. even the father said martin stop yeah so if 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 mr i can barely get a word out yeah says a clear thing that i think shows the level that mark because remember it was about the like he's like yeah, their baby, like the the jump ship, like her abortion baby. I think yeah. it got really the miscarriage. mean, the yeah. miscarriage, yeah, um, to the point where the father stuck up for Fleabag, essentially, is I think who they thought. Yeah, that's true because he like because sorry, I'm also so I mean, as the audience, you're so aware that it's in fact Claire who's talking exactly. about um, that. First, as I remember that, I remember the father sticking up for Claire. But you're right, the father's sticking, sticking up for Fleabag. Fleabag. Because it was so extreme what Martin said, like yeah. so uncalled for. Yeah. Because he's still, I think, so angry at her for rejecting him, right? Like, yeah. I think he's still so angry at her. And it's so pathetic. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. And that's why when she punched again, there was, because that last punch that he gave had such a like outpouring <laughs> of punching other people. And yes. I agree, it was all that anger that he's held in. And I do agree, because he probably thought, well, she sleeps with everybody. Why wouldn't she sleep with me? Yeah. I think that's. Yeah. Uh, precisely exactly why he's so angry but yeah and even just holding one dinner scene for a whole half an hour episode is also just masterful because mm. normally that'd be a lot of the same to look at if it wouldn't well, i guess there's the, the smoking scenes were little breaks mm-hmm. and there's a couple of bathroom scenes 
like when Claire also goes into the bathroom and that's right. So I guess rest. So not all. Ta- I, I had it. I had forgotten those little bits. So it yeah, was all restaurant, yeah. not all table. And I mean, you know, the cut. The cuts were really powerful to that too because I can't remember what the line was that we interrupted when we we cut to the first um, smoking scene. But it was in the literally in the middle of something that like Olivia Coleman's character was saying. That sounded really like you want to hear what the end of the sentence is, but then you just cut to her outside, obviously like letting off steam because she she can't. She almost she also doesn't seem to trust herself to like do anything except be incredibly passive. It's sort of like she's overcorrecting for yeah. the for the drama because it's like if she lets a little bit out, she might just let out the whole too much. And that's sort of the same vein as to why I thought she was so rude to the priest that she's just gonna be like not yeah. talking at yes, all. Yes, I think you're right. Yeah, because she doesn't trust herself. Yeah, right. She's trying to be good, but she doesn't yeah, know how to do that reliably. <laughs> yeah. Well, even yeah. back to... Oh, you know what? There were a few other scenes. I remember right at the beginning now, because she was. they said she's trying to be good. Remember? She's like all like eating salad and then not having sex, and she ran away from the fellow, remember? <laughs> That's right, yeah. <laughs> she, can I at least go down on you? No. no. Run, 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 run. Yeah. But that's, again, more of her not trusting herself. So she's like, i got to run right now before I'm having sex with him on the road. Yeah, 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 that's right. I, I, I get now how that how that introduction kind of ties in more. That's Yeah, because I forgot that opening. She's like, she's been doing exercises, eating vegetables, not having sex. She's doing everything to yeah. be a good girl. Yeah. And I did appreciate how she had that, like, sort of evening onesie. It looked like an evening gown, but then running shoes. Oh, I didn't notice the running shoes. <laughs> she had like red, um, like kind of basketball shoes on with a with an evening, essentially an evening that. gown. That I makes love me that too. So happy. That sounds like something I would do because I hate high heels. Like I love how they look, but I just I I find it atrocious that uh, I would be expected to wear them for any extended amount of time. I think that that is. I don't know if you have any other. Final yeah, I was thoughts. just trying to think through the. I'm excited now just to watch the rest of the season because of the comment I made earlier about how I think it's about faith because now I want to see if I'm right. Yeah, I'm just, I am kind of throwing that out there as a speculative hypothesis, but I have watched the season before. I watched it, I think, a year ago. I love it so much. I love this season of Fleabag so, so much. I have watched it before also, but it's interesting since we've done this podcast, I feel like I also want to watch it now with just these new eyes. Cause yeah. before I was more just, I wanted to enjoy it as a viewer and just be immersed. But now I want to like, yeah, definitely think about it a little bit more, but definitely. Yeah. I'm very excited. And I actually really can't remember. I feel like I'll remember it as I'm watching it, but the first view, the sex exhibition from the end of the first yeah. season was really the main thing that stayed with me. So I'm very, yeah, excited. And I just really love that last scene because it is, like, obviously Claire and, and Fleabag have been estranged. And then Claire calls her over and it's like they've made up, basically. And Claire's kind of, like, ordering her home and then Fleabag asks to go to the nearest hospital. Which is just, and then her sister kind of grudgingly accepts that. And then they bond over how hot the priest is. <laughs> like, I find that so adorable. And how, you know, you, you see a lot of Claire that is very pent up, but now and then you see Claire kind of let something, like a little, like, uh, like, I don't even know what the word is, because I don't want to say it's off. Like, it's a totally legitimate thing to feel, but just, like, inappropriate. Like, what, what she normally would be keeping pent up, she just lets it out in front of her sister because she feels like she can. Mm-hmm. And I did love how that moment you saw in the moment when they both connected over the priest that, that again, not that everything's okay, but like you saw them really make up yeah. very palpably yeah. in the moment that they connected, which I really, yeah, I love that about them. Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, I'm excited to watch the rest. Me too. Uh, but yeah, I think that's all I have to say about that for now. I think that's all for me as well. All right. Well, now yeah, that, that we've, we've said, said it, it we've got to get it. it. Woo!